Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on the power of political and civic engagement. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about what civic and political engagement means to them and how they're involved in their communities. This week, I'm super excited to be talking to somebody about what how they've taken and kind of blended this idea of passion um, with community needs and assets. And, and, and I think that that's been something that we've kind of touched on, but haven't really delved, delved into into any major way on the podcast yet. Casey, can you can you help us talk through kind of what, what I mean when I kind of lay, lay out these weird things like passion with needs and assets? And- yeah, I mean, we I think we've talked, um, maybe not explicitly to this, but we have talked about this to, to all of our guests, I think, in one way or another. But, right, one of the first things we ask people is, how did you get involved in this? Or how do you stay motivated? And it almost inevitably comes back to this idea of passion, that I was really interested in this, or this thing happened, or I observed this, and I thought that shouldn't be, or that's interesting to me, or I want to change this, or I want to make a difference in this, right? So that it was something that was internally personally motivating for them. And they, they had a lot of passion about something. And then they used that passion to, to bring some change, right? Or to, to try to affect some change. And in this case, and in most cases, right, it's like to affect change in what? Well, a, a community of people. Uh, and, that's, and that's what we're hearing about with our, with our guests today. And can I just add, though, that one of the things that we were talking about and, and been reflecting on is that it's so important to recognize that passion gets you so far, but you that this is your individual passion, something that's driving you, but in community, right? Like that if you have an idea, a skill, an expertise in something, you can um, maybe you want to lend that expertise skill to a community. And I think that is incredibly important. But here this week, we're really also talking about how that you also need to be in conversation with the community that would benefit and, and ask, would this benefit, right? Like, <laughs> let's get rid of that, like drop in, you know, uh, parachute in with, you know, solutions, you know, kind of framework and say like, peop- there are people who have kind of a skill and a talent that they can bring to a community to kind of address localized problems. But at the same time, you want to make sure that people want it. Right. Um, and that they see it as a need and that they recognize that, that there are other assets there, right? There are, there are people doing important work already. And how do you kind of bridge that and complement that and, and bring all those pieces together? Right. I mean, and, and I think that's something that that's so seldom spoken to maybe, I don't know, because it would hurt people's feelings, but, and I think your <laughs> reference, right, this like saviorism of organizations yeah. or nonprofits, I'm going to call it ramrodding, where I have a passion, I have an idea, and here community, I'm giving it to you, whether you want it or not. And that that isn't maybe a great way to serve a community of people. And in fact, maybe a better approach 
uh, well, always a better approach is to be in conversation with that community and say, listen, I have this idea. I have this passion for something. And I would is this of interest to you? Is this going to serve you in any way? Is this something that you could you know, benefit from? And how can we co-create this? And I mean, I think that's at the core of what we're trying to do with the Growing Democracy Project. I think it's at the core of what good, you know, university community partnerships can look like. And so I think that um, you know, as we are talking about the power of political and civic engagement, talking this week with someone who kind of brings all those pieces together, I think is really valuable. And and so I'm, I'm really excited to uh, invite or to welcome, goodness, I don't even know what I'm doing. Am I inviting? Am I welcoming? Oh, and <laughs> excited to welcome Cindy Winnick. We are really excited today to be here on the podcast with Cindy Wittick. Uh, Cindy Wittick is an instructor in the College of Public Health at Kent State University. Her work with cognitive psychology and social health research prepared her for a career in public health. Her public health interests include community health, workplace wellness, social determinants of health, and the built environment. Her current project, the Ready, Set, Grow Coalition, is in the process of becoming a nonprofit. Let's grow together to bring community, gardening, nutrition, environment, and active learning together. Great. Cindy, it's so great to have you with us today. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. So I was wondering, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a part of the Ready, Set, Grow project? Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm a lecturer at the College of Public Health at Kent State University. I teach community health and outreach concentration, which really fits with my passions, which have always been about learning and health, community, environment, poverty, equity, many more. I just have a lot of interests and uh, I've always felt drawn to learn, but also to do. I worked in research for quite a few years and I really enjoyed research, but I felt I was lacking that putting it to practice so public health was the perfect next step for me. And I really, it's just feels like everything has come together to allow me to follow my interests and passions. That's excellent. Um, can, so one of the reasons that we were super excited to have you is to talk specifically about this project that um, multiple people we've connected with and one of our advisory board members brought it to our attention is the Ready, Set, Grow project. Can you tell us a little bit about Ready, Set, Grow, um, what y'all do, the history, all that fun stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny. It, it really did happen organically. I, I pardon the pun, but uh, I started incorporating uh, service learning into uh, my classroom and, and doing community work. And it's an active type of learning. You get in the community, you learn, and you help at the same time. And my students get firsthand experience and knowledge about communities that way. So the garden started in 2018, my community-based public health practice class decided to begin a community school garden at the local elementary school. The teachers, the principal, even the superintendent of schools was really interested in this project. So we started the project. We had to do interviews with the community, 
to make sure they were happy for us to do this and put it in to the uh, community. And that's really where it started. And it has just continued to gain traction. I'll try not to use any more puns, but <laughs> it's gained a lot of traction. We have now uh, people from the city, people from other nonprofits, people from community services, and many university departments and colleges are involved. And we just are getting such a rich, rich uh, amount of help and, and interest and knowledge and I, it's just been amazing to me. So I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Now, I, I think most people are probably familiar with the, the terminology farm to table, right? I mean, it's all over everybody that's advertising anything, right? It's farm mm-hmm. to table. But mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of folks have heard farm to cafeteria. What is this and why is it important? Mm-hmm. There's, it's called farm to cafeteria, sometimes farm to school. Uh, so there, you might see different terms used, but what's different about it is just that it involves the school systems and, and, or sometimes, you know, it could even be businesses that have their own cafeterias, but using locally sourced foods, local growers, reducing our carbon footprint, just like farm to table, you're reducing the carbon footprint by using the local sources, you're getting healthier foods you know, you typically want to go for organic foods. So that's also going to be an improvement for the environment and for the persons involved in the cafeteria. So there are so many benefits to everyone to be able to have the farm to school or the farm to cafeteria uh, work. Some of the farm to school work also includes garden clubs, uh, having organizations that are involved in growing, and also another component is about reducing waste. So my students have taken on both components of reduced waste and garden clubs and gardening. We have not addressed the procurement issues yet, which is sort of the third leg of it, using those local resources. And that's because of politics and because of big business and because of all of the red tape, uh, we wanted to start with things we felt more confident with, things that people really were saying, hey, this is what we want. And we're hoping that as those things grow, as the garden clubs and the growing and the the uh, reduced waste programs grow, they'll see those benefits. And hopefully in those few years, as it's growing, we'll be able to take on the procurement issue and try to really start negotiating and working with local schools to be able to procure more local foods. That's really interesting. And we've, you know, we're always talking, Casey and I, about kind of the policy elements (laughs) and the kind of political dimensions that both are, can either create opportunities or barriers. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so it's really interesting to think about how this project came to fruition from an educational standpoint, right? From a, from a classroom perspective, working in collaboration with residents, and then kind of has grown to be this coalition of partners and still kind of navigating that, that complexity of how to do that procurement component. Can you, so, and then I think this is kind of a long-winded way of me kind of getting to what I wanted to ask was, can you tell us a little bit about how this project, 
to the Ready, Set, Grow Coalition Project or your nonprofit, Let's Grow Together, is different than maybe what other people might think about as community gardening, mm-hmm. right? Like what other dimensions are there to all the things that you're doing? I, I don't have a lot of experience with community gardening prior to starting this project. So I'll say that up front. In fact, I, I didn't have a lot of experience even vegetable growing. I've, I've always liked to work in the yard and garden and, and I've not had the opportunity to grow vegetables. Uh, my previous house the soil was clay. It was terrible. I, I just could not get anything to grow. Now I live in the same neighborhood where the garden is and we're tree city, tree city, right? <laughs> uh, I think I have about 14 trees in my little city lot and some of them are hundred year old oaks. So I can't grow vegetables at my home either. So I'm learning all the time, but some of the key areas that I think are really different about this project that I've seen are the fact that we did start from the learning perspective and and looking at it from a, a public health standpoint before we did anything else. There are just so many benefits to doing it that way. And, and I, I could just see that is how we were able to really grow, I think, a little bit more substantially. We have a lot of time that we spend on sustainability that I think a lot of people don't often think about when they're gardening. You know, people use fertilizers and they use insecticides. And even if they're organic, you know, they might be going out buying new equipment. You know, we spend a lot of time trying to reduce our carbon footprint. So we buy a lot of our tools from Restore. We'll buy them off of Craigslist. We get donated equipment. We, we have equipment that's broken. We fix it rather than getting rid of it. Uh, so those kind of things, I think, are, are really very unique or at least not common uh, among gardeners or, or people in general. It's, a, it's kind of a throwaway society, right? So we try to make use of that. Besides the being good stewards of the environment, we also do look at all the details about organic growing you know, being able to harvest rainwater. We harvest rainwater off of our uh, little greenhouse that was built from recycled two-liter bottles. So that's our greenhouse. It's it's also sustainable. Uh, We use the rainwater whenever we can. Some of the other things that I think go back to the education part is having interns. To me, that is probably one of the most important parts of all of this program that I want to keep active and keep growing. One of our partners on campus is Community Engaged Learning, and they are just amazing to work with. I love working with them, and we have a great relationship, and they help find students that want to do this kind of work. And that way, I get someone that works with me for two semesters, sometimes three, sometimes four. So we're all learning. We're getting more experience. We're getting better. They're getting better. They're learning about leadership. They're learning about problems that, you know, how to solve problems, how to be creative. They get that community engagement, uh, which is so important. They learn how to work with communities and 
and how we need to be responsive and and sort of take our lead from the community. What do they yeah. need? What do they want? Don't go in thinking you're going to fix things. You know, you're there. This is what they say they want. Let's see how we can make that work for them, for the environment, for us, for their education. And and I always go back to a, a midterm and at least a, a, a final uh, for the semester of saying, what did you get from this experience? We reflect a lot. What do you still want to learn? Where do you think you need to build your skills? Is it your leadership skills? Is it your management? Is it your organization? And they can get all of those. I, I could see almost any field outside of public health because I do not always have public health students. I could see almost any field being able to benefit from the work that we're doing because of I, I give them a lot of freedom to manage and organize and we work together to to both learn at the same time. So I think those internships and our sustainability are, are really a couple very important points. And I guess there's one last one and that's self-evaluating because we do, we evaluate all the time, what's working, what's not working, uh, where are we still having problems? What else do we need? And I think you have to do a lot of reflection when you're building programs. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, even just this small growing democracy project that Ashley and I run, we've done a lot of self-reflection <laughs> over and over and over to go, how can we really fine-tune this? Yeah. Um, so one of the themes that's come up a lot for us from talking to people is that they're they're working in some way to respond to a community need that's very adaptive in nature, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we and and we refer to it as government failure, and I don't know that that's a that that's a great label for it because it always isn't necessarily the case that that governments tried to solve it. Uh, sometimes it's the case that it's just well, what are you going to do, right? And one of the issues that we know is just frankly true is that everyone should have access to healthy food and yet they don't. Mm -hmm. Why is it so difficult to ensure that kids have access to, to food and to food that is fresh and the, that is healthy for them? I, I hate to say it, <laughs> but uh, because of our policies, um, our government policies, our, our focus on profits over what's really best sometimes for the community and what's best for people. We, we've become a, a very money-driven society. It's, capitalism doesn't have to be all about money being, you know, you can have coexistence of social, social services with capitalism, but somehow I feel that that's really become out of balance and so, you know, they're always looking at the bottom dollar in, in communities and uh, they, they push for how they can get the most bang for their buck. And I think that leaves a lot of people out. I, I, if I could say there was one single issue that is the worst contributor to the problem, it would be the wage gap, the, the income inequality, um, because so many of the working poor or poor, whether whether their their poverty is causing them to be unable to have 
really the fresh foods, to have the time to learn. They're lacking oftentimes in, in the education that they really could benefit from, but they don't have time for. Uh, people in poverty are, they're expending all their resources just trying to survive. And I, I always think of it as sort of a survival mode. They're just always in survival mode. They don't have time to garden. They don't have time to cook healthy meals all the time. They don't always have time to go to the place where they can get the freshest foods and it's not always readily available. And there's so many food deserts and so many poor districts. So they would have to go far outside of their, um, their own community to get fresh foods. And you see that a lot with the older population and you see it a lot with the working poor. And so we're trying to work with those groups in particular to see, all right, these are the needs, these are the constraints. How can we make it fun? Maybe a family activity. How do we make it easier? How do we show them where and how to get some of these products a little closer to them? But it's going to take policy too. It's going to take some changes with with local and state governments to recognize the importance uh, of people eating healthier and having more resources available. Now, Cindy, you, you mentioned earlier, just a quick follow-up question, um, that you talk to and you engage with community members as you're, as you're building these, um, the, the Ready, Set, Grow project. Has there been anything that came out of conversations with community members that either surprised you or kind of changed your way of, oh, I didn't think about that. This this is something actually that we could address in a different way. Yeah, um, I think we get some of those moments all the time. I, I'm trying to think the one uh, place that we work is uh, in Northern Portage County. And it's a very, it's the poorest district that in our county. And so we were happy to get in there and try to see what we could do to help. It's been a struggle, but I think the the biggest surprises was the the fact that people are just exhausted that that they're they're too exhausted to think about it even when they know there's something good there for them there there were there were some uh, funds granted by a local company they so there were funds available to put in this this garden and what they decided to do was can't remember the name of it my it's slipping my mind food forest and, and with a food forest, you have a lot of foods that come back year after year. They want to add the vegetable gardening, but they're putting in fruit trees and raspberries and blueberries and strawberries and herbs and all these things that are going to be, you know, coming back year after year. And this is there and they, they've got all this produce. They have a hard time getting people to even come in to see what's there or to help or to get some strawberries. So... One of the ways they're doing that is using some of the local food drives. And that's what we've done with our, our projects in Kent also is let's have two or three or four places that are our food bank or have food drives or have weekly food handout. And um, what we do is when we're growing and we harvest for the week, 
we start with that list. Do you need some fresh produce? This is what we have this week. All right, you know, we'll give it to you. And we sort of go down that list and, and try to get it straight to people that are in need. But it's, you know, getting the word out. You would think these days with, with communications the way they are, it would be easier, but it's really not. And um, people are just, I think, at the end of their resources and something new just is not always something they want to even think about, even when it's good, you know. So it, it, you really have to work around that and try to find ways to make this something that, that they enjoy and something that's going to be a good, easy, enjoyable part of their routines or life. Um, and we'll, that'll be our continued challenge, I think, um, as we go through and keep expanding. I love that, though, and thinking about how you start in one place and then are constantly rethinking about how you're meeting people where they're at, um, recognizing that other barriers, it's not, not that people are just disinterested, that there are other barriers, right? And so how do you get, how does your organization then adapt and respond um, to make sure that the access is still there? One of the other things you mentioned, and um, I uh, and, and I just kind of want to follow up uh, with you on, is the partnerships that you have with the schools. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe even a little bit with uh, kind of Kent City government. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that partnership looks like and how how you negotiate those relationships? Right, because if we know that policy and politics can be a bit of a hurdle. It also, I think, is important for us to recognize that partnerships still exist, even if there are hurdles. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's no easy answers with, with any of this. But I think building those relationships with multiple entities helps us to see the bigger picture. And it, and, and it really helps us uh, stay focused on what's best for everyone. And uh, it's, it's one organization at a time and being responsive to whoever's involved. So it started with one local school, which was an elementary school, and they enjoyed it. And so we continued to respond to them. Uh, we, we didn't want to be a burden. So, you know, you have to, you have to make sure you're not getting too excited and too much right in there, right? But we stayed in contact. We, we were consistent. We kept this project going. Uh, we asked what else they needed or wanted. You know, we, we continued to get feedback from them. From there, uh, the, the relationship with the entire Kent City school system grew because I, I got to know the superintendent. He was thrilled with what we were doing there. So I had a few meetings with him and we talked and he told me about a farm to, farm to cafeteria, farm to school program down in Columbus. And yes, and he, so he was just really excited that we were getting something started. And I knew what his end goal was. So listening to him, knowing what he wanted, I didn't even know what farm to school was when I started. So, so it's continuing to learn, continuing to respond, and, and doing what you can with that, with those processes. Uh, from the school, it it just grew into the city. I'm I'm trying to remember. I went to what was called a town and gown meeting, which is the university and the city, 
And so I met with them, talked a little bit, and they were excited. And I got lots of ideas from them. And from there, it was, it was time to branch out into the university because there are so many different layers in the university. Community-engaged learning have been working with me, the Women's Center, Equity and Inclusion, Public Health. Uh, I found out about a geography professor who was doing a, a garden down in North Canton area, and he was very interested. Sustainability, that's a college or department, and, and they have environmental studies really in, interested and lots of experience to for us to all bring our passions and experience together, it's just, it, it's, it feels explosive in a great way. Because when we get together for a meeting, even on Zoom, we had our Zoom meeting yesterday, and it was, it's just always invigorating because everyone's like, yeah, this is great. And yeah, I can do this and I can do that. And oh, I'm interested in this. And, and so you're just getting all these great perspectives, but you're also gaining power. We're gaining power with the city and, and the, the Kent, uh, Kent Health Department. We've got two, two of their administration on board and working with us and helping us write grants. And so we're just getting all this great expertise, um, but including that uh, diversity part. I just love having people in the diversity inclusion area of the university because I feel like that's the part that I really want to bring in because that's going to be the part that's really going to help the people that have been sort of left out and the people that have been too just not been included in most of these kind of projects and, and ideas. And, and I, I'm really excited about all the different connections we have. So as you know, one of the kind of key elements to the Growing Democracy Project is really thinking about civic and political engagement and, and what that looks like in practice from the hyper grassroots neighborhood association book club to, you know, national interest groups and, and, and everything in between and thinking about all the different ways that we can be a part of growing our democracy. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to kind of ask you a little bit, and, and you've alluded to this in so many different ways throughout <laughs> this conversation. So I'm going to, I'm just being explicit in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, what does being civically engaged mean to you? And and in what ways do you see Ready, Set, Grow as an outgrowth of your definition and understanding of civic engagement work? Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, it, it is really like a dream come true for me because it, it really encompasses so many of my interests and things that I care about. And I it's definitely evolved and, and, and an outgrowth of how I have lived my life, I guess. Uh, I spent most of my adult life learning. You know, I'm still I'm still in school. You know, I love learning. I always have, and I think that's been a real strength and a real benefit to me because I do enjoy it. With that in mind, I always have wanted to try to find a way as a, a, an instructor to find a way to bring enjoyment to my students in their learning. I don't want it to just be, okay, here we go. We're going to write on the board and here's what we've got. And, you know, it's like, what impassions you? What, what do you want? You know, what, 
what do you care about this topic? How does it affect you? And I, um, when my kids were younger, I, I was very involved with uh, the communities around us. So, you know, your people are busy when they have young families. I, I didn't have these opportunities when my children were young because I didn't have the time for it. Uh, and I recognize that when I'm working with young families, I recognize how, you know, you have to recognize other people's position, where they're coming from and their limitations. And those change over time, all the time. They're always changing, right? And, uh, you know, I was, I was Girl Scout leader because I loved the environment. I love crafts. I love, you know, I loved all those things. So, so it was just really, you know, a lot of fun for me to be able to do that and teach the young kids all of those things about environment and, and all of the, uh, you know, cooking and baking. And I love all those things. And, and so I did that. Uh, that's not for everybody. My husband is very different. And, and I think it's always been a, a really good lesson for, for us for, to see the directions I go and the things that I'm passionate about and that I'm working in the community in areas that matter to me. You can't do everything. So when people try to force themselves to get involved in things that really aren't their passion, I think it, that's where the failures come in for them and, and maybe even in the projects. You have to care about what you're doing. Um, so find something that you care about and find the need and, and then it's going to work for everybody. Uh, my husband loves sports. He is sports, sports, sports. You know, um, he coached both of my children all the way through, you know, gave endless hours of coaching and taking kids home from practices and picking kids up and and running practices and, and taking everybody to games. And, you know, but that was his thing. And that was his way to be civically involved and help families in the community. And mine was through the schools and learning and helping the teachers and doing reading, reading circles and, you know, all of those type of things. So um, once my kids got old enough where they didn't need those kind of things from me as much, I got to honestly say I was done making cupcakes and tired of all the parties and <laughs> I was ready to move on. And that's when I moved on to uh, public health and working as a project director on, on various projects. And, and that's where I was able to really let my passions sort of flow. <laughs> so now I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are really going to be interested in learning more about Ready, Set, Grow. But more than that, they're probably going to want to get involved. So how can they get involved um, with Ready, Set, Grow, with community gardening or any other type of work really that involves trying to aid in providing uh, food access to communities? Yeah, I, I think going back a little bit to, you know, pay attention to what's going on in your community. Find out what what your community's assets are. I think people forget about the assets a lot of times. They only look at, oh, what are we lacking? What don't we have? Oh, you know, what are the assets? What do we have? What don't we have? What are the needs? And uh, you can do a lot of things on a shoestring budget. I'm telling you, we have, I believe the last two years, and I have not looked at the numbers yet, I'm pretty sure we've spent less than $500 total in two years of our work. Uh, 
and we've got 14 gar we've got 14 beds we've got a greenhouse we've got rain barrels we're we're creative we try to be as creative as we can um we d- we have not spent a lot now granted my ultimate project uh, once we get it to grow as far as we want we'll be spending more because i want to be in every school in portage county i want to start with the the youngest teach them how to grow teach them about composting you know but that I'm getting off track again. I'm getting into the details, but um, you know, I want it to continue to grow. But I, I'm trying to take it one step at a time, and I think that's what people need to do. Think about how much you have to offer, whether it be time or money. If you have time, then get you know, find out what's going on. Find out what's already there, and if you're not finding anything that interests you, find out what might be needed. What could you do about it? What could you maybe do? Even just something really small. And um, if, if you have funds and you don't have a lot of time, then, you know, research the different organizations and the different projects going on. And, and by that, I just mean, you know, take a look around, you know, ride your, if you're riding your bike or taking a walk or taking a drive, see what the local garden looks like. See what the local community center looks like. What kind of programs and projects do they have? you know, maybe talk to a few of the people or talk to some of the people in the community, find out what they really need that they're not getting. And it's really about communicating with people uh, and, and just looking around. And then you can decide for yourself what what you are willing to give or what you want to give or what matters to you. Um, as far as for getting involved with us, um, we, we've got a, a Facebook page, it's ready, set, grow. We're going to be switching it over here soon. And the reason for switching it from just a coalition to uh, a nonprofit is really the finances. It gets so muddy when you're trying to, we do have people from the schools and the city and nonprofits and the college. And, and so where does the money come from and where does it go and how do you track it? It gets really cumbersome. So we thought it would be easier to go to a, a nonprofit status, but yeah, you can contact us. You can contact me. Uh, we're always looking for people that are passionate. Like I said, we want to get in every school. We want to have gardens and garden clubs available to all kids. Uh, my dream would really to ultimately be to have that procurement and component also in the schools I, uh, and have the, the, the students in the schools actually be involved in cooking their own lunches. I know that sounds really out there because nobody does that, but there are a few. There's some places out in Colorado, uh, in uh, China. They have a lot of schools. I've, I've seen some documentaries. That that's part of their learning lessons. It's, you know, you've got an hour for lunch or an hour and a half, and you're going to learn about these vegetables, you're going to prepare them, you're going to eat them, and they have these wonderful, great, fresh meals, and they know about where things go and how things are come about, you know, the growing and the, the cycle from growing, eating, to composting, and that's another whole part that I think is just so important for our environment and and for our sustainability. That's fantastic. I really weird side note. Um, I worked in a project where it was uh, women in science, and one of the projects they always worked on was 
cooking, which maybe sounds a little gendered, but it was really about the um, chemistry of cooking. And uh, the emphasis was really on thinking about the, the chemical reactions that were taking place and how you could do the best cooking if you understood the chemistry. It was such a fun thing. And I do not come from a chemistry background at all. Um, but it was such a fun thing to participate in. So anyways, random comment that I absolutely love the idea of participating in cooking and you can bring in so many different, the history of the food or the, the science behind how they blend and all that. Yeah. I get really excited when I talk to people. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> this is uh, one of my students put together a garden club manual. And and just like what you're saying, we, um, we've got all kinds of materials to connect science, social studies, math, you know, all the different grade levels, kindergarten, first, second, third, you know, what are you teaching them? Well, here's how you can connect that to growing, composting, you know, worms, bugs, bees, you know, all of it, all, all of nature, but then also to the cooking aspect, you know, we want to do little pop-ups in the cafeterias. Of course, COVID has gotten in the way of our garden club and that, but we're finding creative ways to, to manage that. We're, we're putting together little garden club packets that we're going to pass out at some of the schools, you know, that includes everything they need along with instructions to maybe grow a sunflower or grow some beans or, you know, learn about some of these things. And, but we would love to have cooking classes and uh, have little pop-ups where they can sample all kinds of maybe vegetables they haven't eaten before or see different ways to prepare them and uh, so, yeah, I think it's really neat and, and kids just love, love all of it. it it's so rewarding mm-hmm. to get their feedback and see how much they enjoy it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, any other words of wisdom for our listeners? Anything else you want to add before we, we say goodbye? I guess don't be afraid to try something. Uh, I, I feel that often people... You know, I get a lot of pushback myself sometimes because I'm like, I think I want to try this. They're like, oh, nobody does that. You know, well, I think I'm going to, you know, um, I, I don't don't let yourself be held back by convention uh, or or what society has done in the past. Is that, you know, not everything's always worked and not everything is working right now. <laughs> so I, I think, you know. Follow your follow your ideas and your passion and don't be afraid to get involved. Doesn't mean you have to be a politician and you have to be up on a podium. I couldn't handle that at all. I, I'm I'm too sensitive. I couldn't handle all the people giving me all the nasty, you know, texts or messages or whatever. That would be really difficult. Um, some people can handle that, and that's great. I'm glad we have people that can can do that, but there are so many ways that you can get involved just as a good neighbor or a good um, uh, community member by, you know, just being aware of what's going on and the needs around you and what you can do to help. Thank you so much, Cindy. We really appreciate you coming on with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan and my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is edited by Jeremy Demery at Gold Knox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about political and civic engagement.